So we're starting into Genesis 43 today. Um, last time uh, in Genesis 42, uh, Jacob sent 10 of Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy grain to avoid starvation from the famine. Uh, Joseph predicted the dream of Pharaoh and sure enough, we're now in the period of seven years of famine and it's affecting more than Egypt. And so the brothers are sent because they, they don't have grain and Jacob hears that there is grain in Egypt. Benjamin is kept behind. He was, Rachel's only son was left in the household. And uh, so jo uh, Joseph kept, or Jacob kept him back. And so the ten um, found themselves in front of Joseph when they traveled to Egypt. And jo Joseph is the man who is tasked with selling the grain for any that buy. They don't recognize him, but he knows them. And Joseph questions them about his family. And of course, the ten seem to be totally unaware of why he's doing that in detail. They just know that this man is there asking them about their father. Do you have other sons? He accuses them of being spies. And then he lets them sit in prison for three days after he's told them that he's going to keep all of them but send one back. Well, three days later, he changes that around a little bit. He pulls him out of prison, and he selects Simeon, the thirdborn, to stay, and said, there's a truth test. I've said you're spies. I believe you're spies. But you've said you've got a younger brother back in your father's house. If you, when you come back, you've got to bring that other brother. And that will be the test of whether you are spies or not. And of course, then he instructs his servants there who are working for him, who are doing the administrative work of, of sacking up grain and sending people out and all of those things, and says, by the way, put their money back in their grain sacks and then sends them home. Well, partway home, they stop for the night. One of them is going to feed some of the grain to the animals that are bearing the load for them and lo and behold he finds his money in the sack and says, oh my goodness he thought we were spies and you can imagine what kind of thoughts they had that uh, now he's going to think we're also thieves and have evidence for it so they head on back when they get home they find out that not just one sack of grain had money in it but everybody individually had been given the money back for the grain that they were carrying and Jacob is upset with them. And they say, hey, we've got to take Benjamin back to go back again. The man was very clear. And they've got Simeon. They're holding him hostage to see if we were telling the truth. And Jacob doesn't like it. And he says, there's no way you're taking Benjamin back. I could not stand the grief if something happened to Benjamin. Jacob's pretty focused on the things being the way they are and what he wants in life and what he values. And Benjamin is a key piece of that. And so there's Jacob made it very clear to them that they have done poorly. And they uh, put his family in a situation he's not happy about and forget about Benjamin and even in the language that's used there in the end of chapter 42, we find out that they have mentally written off Simeon as well. 
they talk about him as though he's no longer alive. And so that's where we left things last time. So let's pick it up in Genesis 43. And to begin with, let's read the first 15 verses. And so I'm looking for a volunteer that would be kind enough to read for us. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had in, when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. For my hand, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. All right. So, we're once again told the famine was severe in the land. That's pretty much the circumstance that is governing everything that people are thinking about in terms of big moves, at least in Jacob's family. And verse 2 says, So when they consumed all the grain that they got from Egypt, when they had eaten it all, then, then they start thinking about action again. And Jacob says, go back and buy us food. And uh, what were the conditions that Joseph set for the return of these men to buy food again? Or for any reason for that matter. You needed to see the younger brother. You've got to take the younger brother along. And we see that Judah is starting to show some leadership in the family. And he says, the man, meaning Joseph, the man solemnly warned us. In other words, it was very clear what he was telling us. And what he said was, you shall not see my face unless your brother's with you. What, what's significant about seeing Joseph's face? He's the one that sold the grain. 
you don't talk to Joseph, you don't buy a grain. I'm not doing business with you again unless you bring your brother along. And so Judah goes on to say, if you send our brother with us, yeah, we'll go down and try to buy some more food. But if you don't send him, we will not go because of what he said. Um, basically, they're saying there's no point in going. Did they believe Joseph when he said, you come again without your brother, I'm not going to do business with you? Yeah, they really did believe it. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a, a clearly jo Judah is showing some leadership role here. He's speaking for them. Um, in verse 6, then Jacob says, why did you treat me so badly? Now, how did they treat him badly? How did, what was it that Jacob thought they did that was so egregious toward him personally? Yeah, why did you tell him you had a brother? Now, what, if you were one of the brothers... How are you going to take that? What's going to be, what kind of thoughts are you going to have? Maybe you wouldn't say it, but what would you want to say to Jacob? We, we risked our lives. Why, why yeah. didn't he? Yeah, you, you don't know what it was like to be there. This man was treating us as an authority. He was calling us spies. He was talking about living or dying because he even said... Do this that you can live. And now you're going to tell us we treated you badly? If you wanted to do it that way, you should have done it yourself. You weren't there. You don't know what's going on. And verse 7 kind of shifts a little bit. It's no longer giving the, the speaking voice to Judah alone. They replied, the man questioned us specifically about our relatives. He asked very specific questions. He said, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And uh, so what's the nature of Jacob's frustration here? What was he wishing they had done? Yeah, or at least, if not lie, at least withhold information. Don't don't get don't answer those kinds of questions with information that could be used against you. Um, who is Jacob trying to rely on in that kind of a situation to make his troubles work out? Himself. Himself. We're going to set this situation up, and we're going to make sure we've manipulated it so that our risks are minimized. It's interesting, and was every conversation that the brothers and Jacob had recorded for us to read? I mean, clearly not. Um, there's, there had to be lots of conversations, but this is significant enough, I think it would have been mentioned. Do we see the brothers or Jacob falling on their knees saying, God, our brother is in prison in Egypt our family is in peril Lord you know rescue us from this peril we don't even see and maybe it's there I don't want to say it's not but it's not recorded 
any kind of turning to God about the famine. I mean, God's just not in their picture that's recorded. And I, I think personally that's very telling. I think that's very telling. They are relying on self, and it's not going the way they would like it to go. And so he at least he may have wanted deception, at least wanted them to be more shrewd in their strategic thinking when in front of this powerful man in Egypt. In verse 7, it goes on to say, he asked us specifically, so we answered his questions. How could we possibly know he would ask us to bring our brother down? How could we have foreseen that? What piece of information, if they had had it, might have let them see ahead to a request like that? You know where I'm going with that? What, wasn't, what, what is a truth that was real that wasn't in their thinking? This is Joseph. I mean, here's Joseph asking them questions that he's hoping, I think, they will answer just as they did. Is your father still alive? Yes. And I can just see Joseph thinking, wonderful, my dad's still around. Now, he clearly had some tension with his family. Jacob had rebuked him for sharing the dreams, right? So I don't know what all of the emotions might have been, but certainly he's, he's finding out what's, what's, my sta what's the status of the people I left in Canaan. And, of course, his brother, his only full brother, Jet Benjamin, he, he knows Benjamin exists. Well, well, I think it would have been interesting. It, the what-ifs in Scripture are kind of meaningless because God's will gets done. But it's interesting to think about how Joseph might have reacted if they would have said, no, there's no other brothers. We ten are it. You know, I, 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 I think it would have been pressing Joseph's patience. We'll put it that way if they had not answered with information about another brother and who their family was. So um, here is the situation with them as, as uh, uh, Jacob is asking them to go back and Judah begins to lead out again in dealing with Jacob. Send the lad with me and we will go. And I, I found that word lad interesting in an English translation because um, we know that um, certainly he's what we would say adult age. He has a family. He has to have by this point. We looked ahead last time and saw that when they, this whole group moves to Egypt, he's got 10 kids. Now, he doesn't have 10 kids between this point and when they go. So he, he is an adult with a family. And I looked that up, and it gets translated young, child, young man uh, in various different ways. So probably what they mean is our youngest brother. But send the lad with me, Jacob, Ju Judah says, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Judah is bringing in a very important point here. We ate everything that we got from Egypt. We're faced with starvation. 
and you're worried about one brother not getting harmed, we're all going to die if we don't do something. And so uh, we, that we will not die as well as you and, our, and your little ones. So we've got kids. We've got you to take care of, Dad. We need to go. And so you need to send Benjamin, and I'll take responsibility. And he says that in verse 9, I will myself be surety for him. And you can hold me responsible if I don't bring him back. You can blame me forever. Judah here is showing good leadership in the sense that they've got to go. Somebody's got to take responsibility. And even if you hold this against me forever, Father Jacob, we've got to go. And so that's what he says. Let me take that responsibility and you can... You can hold me responsible for all eternity. And then he brings up something else that's important, and it gives us a hint as to how long it's been. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. So they have delayed. This is an indication of how long it's been since that original trip to Egypt. And, you know, it's going to be multiple days down and multiple days back. And I, I don't have any way to really say how long of a time it was, but Judah's saying we didn't need to be here. And why did they not go sooner, do you suppose? We're, we're seeing the issue right now. We're, we're going to act like the problem doesn't exist and hope it goes away. That's what they did. That's what is an easy solution sometimes, not necessarily easy or solution but it's sometimes the tempting place to go when situation is such that we really ought to be acting we don't like what's going on so it's easy to say well i'll think about that tomorrow i'm going to go back to whatever today because i don't want to think about it i don't want to deal with it and yet right here it is and as we delay taking action we ought to take what happens to our options they narrow, they go away. Now, they didn't have a lot of other options. There's only one place in the world right now to get grain, and that's in Egypt. So they're going to be going to Egypt, but they could have taken the desperateness out of it. They're waiting until, what did they say? The food is gone. It isn't just that, oh, we're going to run out next week if we don't do something. They ran out. They ate it all. What's for lunch? There isn't any. Get over it is about all they can say to themselves. Now, we'll see they had a few things they could maybe snack on a little bit. But even then, there might not have been much. And so they've kind of boxed themselves in a corner, and they have waited until the situation is desperate. And clearly, there's a fair amount of time that's gone by. And if you were Joseph in Egypt waiting on a return, it's going to seem like, man, it's taking them a long time to get back. It might say something about how much they were concerned about Simeon, and as a matter of fact, we can read the text and realize if Joseph was suspicious of that, that would be true. Which one did the family care more for, or at least Jacob care more for, Simeon or Benjamin? How would you like to be Simeon? As long as they had food to eat, they didn't care where I was. Uh, you know, this, this, is a, this is an interesting family. 
too much like our own families. But, you know, uh, this is an interesting family. We get to see how they interact and how they deal with things. And so that's where they are. Now, Jacob has this bright moment. I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Well, if it must be so, then let's do it this way. Take some of the best products of the land, that is from Canaan, in your bags. And take to the man as a present. They don't know what to call Joseph. We don't get a title here or anything. It's just the man. Take a little balm, a little honey, some aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. And I thought, well, you know, I've, other times when I've looked up plants and trees and things from the Old Testament, when I go read the people that ought to know, I find out, well, they didn't really mean the tree that we think of like that. They meant this. But in reality, this list is just exactly would fit in with what we might think about. Um, the two that are a little bit, okay, so what is that? The aromatic gum and the myrrh, those are both gums, if you will. They're both... Uh, uh, a, a sticky substance that uh, they're both aromatic the aromatic gum is kind of a spicy kind of a smell the myrrh is a gum that comes from the leaves of the rock rose rock rose plant so they would press these leaves and extract the myrrh but pistachio nuts and almonds are just that pistachio nuts and almonds and he also says, take double the money and take the money that was returned in your sacks. Now, you could read that a couple of ways. One way you could read it is, take double the money so you've got in hand the money that was in your sacks plus enough to pay for the next round. Or he could be saying, take a double payment plus what we had before, which is kind of what I favor based on the way the words are put together, but you could take that probably either way. And... They, perhaps it was a mistake that your money was in your bags. What's the probability that was a mistake? If it was truly a personal behavior error, in other words, here's the money, I'm the steward, and when I'm packing up, I accidentally put all this money for the grain in the sacks. What's going to happen to me? Well, we don't know for sure, but it's not going to be anything pleasant. Nobody's going to make that mistake and then make it that many times. Wishful thinking. Clearly, they're in the land of wishful thinking to some extent. Um, and so they've got this problem of we ha came home with all our money and they're trying to figure out how to put it to rest. Why might you think Jacob would favor a gift like that? Has done, he's he done this before? Where did Jacob use a gift in an attempt? For Esau. Yeah, Esau. Matter of fact, he, he did that gift in spades, didn't he? Is a way to say it, maybe. I mean, he went over the top. You know, you got multiple parties of, of people coming and animals and all this gift, and he sees it three different times before he gets to Jacob. And Jacob is very clear, tell him it's a gift from me. And when they get together, the meeting goes well. And um, Jacob, I don't think, probably knows if the gift made a difference or not. I'm not sure we 100% know, but by the time they get together, it goes well. So uh, we don't know if he's thinking back about that, but he has used a gift before in a situation that turned out well. Now, I'll give him a little credit. 
in verse 14, they do start thinking about the role God might play. And uh, so as they get ready to return to the man, uh, this is kind of like a prayer. May God Almighty, Jacob says, grant you compassion. And God Almighty, there is El Shaddai, the God most powerful. So grant you compassion in the sight of this man. So here they do invoke God as the one that could deal with the heart of an adversary here. And as he gets that compassion so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. It's kind of like that, well, it'll be what it is. Que sera, sera. So Jacob is saying, you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I might lose, I might lose children here. Maybe all of them. I mean, that's a real possibility if you were just dealing with the worldly man that didn't have another agenda. There, here's all this money and the animals. Rather than sell us grain as foreigners, if he really thought we were spies, I could lose all my children on this trip. And so there's some risk for Jacob. And in verse 15 then, so the men took the present, took double the money, uh, took Benjamin, and they left for Egypt. And they found themselves then standing before Joseph again. Um, so here they are on their journey. What kinds of things could go wrong for them now that they're in the presence of Joseph again from their perspective, not, not knowing he's Joseph, just seeing him as an Egyptian official? Got the threat theft potential. What were they accused of before they left the last time? Spies. Spies. With a government official like this, even if they brought Benjamin back, was that going to be a, a slam dunk then? No, he's not going to think we're spies anymore. No. I, I think we all know that sometimes people, whether they're in any role in life, will get something in their head you can't get out of their head. Guilty. I've done that see something a certain way and somebody's got other evidence and I go, nah, I don't think so. This is really, I think it really is. Um, so here they are and if either one of those things happen, the penalties offer the full range of possibilities. So now let's, we're going to see things from Joseph's perspective for a little bit. Let's read Genesis 43, 16 through 25. Who can do that for us? Go ahead. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to his house steward, Bring the men into the house, and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said, and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now when the men were now the men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we were being brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slave, take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's, stewards, Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each man's money was in his, the mouth of his sack our money in full, so we have brought it back with our hand, in our hands. 
We've also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sack. He said, Be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Then the man brought then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. Okay, things take a real interesting, at least to me, turn here. So Joseph saw Benjamin with them. So they got close enough to Benjamin to Joseph that he's observing them, and he sees Benjamin. And so he says to his house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. And so the man did that. Uh, he, he starts this preparation. When you read this, when we hear, hey, kill an animal, we're going, they're going to dine with me at noon, what does that tell you if you're the steward? We're looking at a feast. This has uh, similar kinds of, of uh, description as the way when Jesus taught the prodigal, taught the parable of the prodigal son, you know, you create a feast. You know, we're, we're going to, we're, this is going to be a, an important meal. It's important in Joseph's mind. And it's going to be at Joseph's house. And so, so there they are, and it's clear that to the servant, I think, that Joseph intends to treat these men as very important guests. Now, could this be a ruse? It could be if, if Joseph was inclined to be manipulative or uh, engage in trickery. It could be something like that. Uh, but it, it's pretty clear based on the behaviors that this chief steward understands these men are important in the eyes of Joseph. And he said, they're going to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph said. And one of the things he did was brought these men, these 11 brothers now, to jo 10 brothers because Simeon's in prison, to Joseph's house. How did the men react to being at Joseph's house? What were his brothers thinking? It's here. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? They thought that he was going to make them slaves. We went from just a standard business transaction. That's the way it was last time. Apparently it was done in the arena where they did the common trading of money for grain and so on, weighing it out, packing it up, sending them on their way. But this time, we're now at Joseph's house. Now, we don't know much about what Joseph's house might have been. I went and tried to do a little digging to see, and we don't have any idea. But do we imagine that it was an impressive place? Second command, he's probably got a pretty nice place. Well, not only that, I mean, he's handling all the money. I mean, frankly, the treasury of Egypt is pretty much at his command. And I'm not saying that means he would divert money for his house. I'm just saying it would have been considered appropriate 
I don't know if Pharaoh provided the house. Don't know if Joseph, through whatever wages he got, built the house. Don't know how it got there. But if he's going to be that prominent, they're not going to put him south of the tracks, right? To use the old way we looked at things in our country. And so here they are. He's got servants. And so they think, well, it's because of the money. He's going to, and how did they say it here? He may seek occasion against us. What does that mean? Seek occasion against us. What do you think they're anticipating? Well, the first time they there wasn't called spies, so the second time they're there, he's going to accuse them of something else. Yeah, he's going to trump something up here. He, this is a trap. And it's become personal now. They're at his house. So if we make an, an offense personally against him, then we'll become his prisoners and his slaves. He's going to do something for his personal benefit that's going to result in our slavery, and it's going to have something to do with this money that we came. And he's also then will take our donkeys. Uh, so they have a solution. In verse 19, they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him. What did they tell the steward? We don't have any idea what happened, but we brought it back. I mean, we've not only got it, but we've got other money to give you in exchange for more food. So they're trying to be very upfront about the problem that might be coming up between them, that we're not thieves. Now, if they were really thieves but starving, might they have done the same thing? Yeah, so I mean, they're, they're in a weak position. If I mean, we know the backstory that's going on. We know what happened and how the money got there, but they don't. And in their own eyes, they have to think they're in a weak position because um, we've got the money, and I hope he believes what we tell him. It's the truth, but the fact that it's truth doesn't guarantee he believes it. And if it was done intentionally on their, the Egyptians' part, that may have been a trap too, just to get us in a position where they could oppress us and make us their slaves and uh, so they talk about that in verse 21 in verse 23 that chief steward answers them and what does he say well or, or I, the money was in my possession I'm the one that put it in your sacks but it's interesting how it starts your God and the God of your father has given you the treasure in your sacks. That is a fascinating statement to hear from Joseph's chief steward. Sounds like Joseph told him all about it. Joseph has at least told him about what's going on to some extent with regard to at least this much. Who is God? And... We know the phrase that happens often in the scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this man is saying, the God of your fathers. And so um, he is clearly saying that 
he knows something about their family, about who God is. Is he even potentially a convert? Has he become to say, because Joseph's got a story. And at the foundation of Joseph's story is, remember how God, he said it? God has shown you Pharaoh. And God gave it to you double so you would know that what he's about to do, he's going to do quickly. God is at the foundation of Joseph's account of interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And so that has to be a part of who Joseph is known for, is who is his God that would interpret this dream for us? To some extent, it's not a big logical step to say, it is this very God of Jacob's that has provided for Egypt in such a way that they are not experiencing the famine like the rest of the world. And so when we get here, here is this steward saying, relax, you're okay. Now, that wouldn't give me a lot of comfort. And how did you know about this? And why did you? I mean, to me, his statement raises a whole lot more questions than it answers. However, realizing where they are, maybe they were not inclined to ask any more questions. That's good news, probably. And they're in front of a very important person, so they're not going to question it. Uh, but he said, be at ease, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you the treasure in your sacks. I had your money. I was the one in charge of it. And that's how it got back in your sacks is implied. And the next thing he does is he brings out Simeon. And so I'm sure that there was some encouragement with the arrival of Simeon. And then he brought the man into Joseph's house. That had to be overwhelming a little bit based on the house. And he gave them water. And what did they do with the water? They washed their feet. But the servant went out and acted like a servant to guess. He went out and fed their donkeys. So these men are truly being treated well. So in verse 25, we begin to get what the brothers do. They prepared the present that Joseph, uh, for Joseph's coming in at noon. It's what Jacob had sent down, for they had heard that they would eat a meal there. So somehow it wasn't apparently directly told to them, but they they figured it out. And so we're about to see Joseph come on the scene. Let's read from verse 26 through 34, which is the end of the chapter. Who will read that for us? When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the gift which was in their hand, and they bowed down to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant our father is well, he is still alive. Then they bowed down again in homage, and as he raised his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, the mo his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? Then he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph then hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he looked for a place to weep, so he, could in so he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, served a meal. Then they served him by himself and Joseph's brothers by themselves, 
and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him from the firstborn according to his birthright to the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in astonishment. Then he took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of them, so they drank freely with him. All right, so now Joseph gets here for the meal. And when he gets home, the brothers bring their present to him, and um, they bow down before him. Now it's all of the brothers, just as the original dream would say. And it doesn't say that Joseph thought about it, but this is the first time that first dream is really completely fulfilled. And he asked them about their welfare. So he starts taking an interest in them. And you might think it's small talk. That I mean, a lot of times that's what you would do for guests and in a, in what, a lunch that might have a business side to it. But we know, of course, that Joseph's really wanting to know, is your father, old father, of whom you spoke well? Is he still alive? And they answer with, your servant, our father. So they are putting themselves in subjection to him because... That's where they're at with regard to trying to buy this grain. They are being subservient to him. Uh, but they said, yeah, he's well and he's living. And again, they bow down to him in homage. So they are, they are acting appropriately for the situation they're in. And once again, that first dream is fulfilled. And as Joseph looked up, he saw Benjamin, his mother's son. And this, obviously, we're going to see stirs him a lot. But he says to the group, is this your youngest brother you told me about? And it doesn't appear he waited for an answer, but he says to his brother, Benjamin, may God be gracious to you, my son. At this point, Joseph begins to lose his composure. He hurries out. He's deeply stirred over Benjamin's presence. And he went to a place to weep. Now, that's... If, if you, we don't get a picture, a description of how the brothers react to that, but wouldn't that be a little concerning to you if this important man suddenly dashed out? It's like, okay, I don't see soldiers at the doors. What's going to happen here? Uh, but he went to a place where he could weep. He went to his chamber, his own private place, very well his bedroom or something similar, and he wept there. So he takes a little time to get his composure back. He's clearly moved, and he washes his face. So he's still maintaining this separateness, this unrecognized status with them, uh, where he is, he is the man. I don't think that's the way, when it says the man here, I don't think they're using our modern vernacular by any sense. But he's maintaining that officialness, his presence of power and not showing his inner self to them and so he comes out controlled and so he says serve the meal now it's interesting how this meal gets set up to me um, because it says they serve Joseph by himself and I think as we read through this we realize every time it says served it doesn't mean they put the food on the table but they set Joseph up at his own table. And then the brothers were at their own table. And then the Egyptians were somewhere else because 
The Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews. It was loath them to the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? Here is Joseph, number two man in all of Egypt, by Pharaoh's own decree, who has engineered a response to a dream he interpreted by Pharaoh so that they wouldn't be starving, but it was beneath them to eat a meal with him. I just think that's just fascinating. Uh, so they would not eat with him. In verse 33, it says, They were seated before him, that is Joseph, and they went from the firstborn Reuben to the youngest Benjamin in order. The men looked at one another in astonishment. What were they astonished about? He knew their order. Um, I don't know how old the oldest was. I could have stopped and figured it out. I didn't choose to do this, but I'm... I'm reminded of my grandmother and her brothers. Now, they were obviously much older than me. But I had to ask at various times, now, now which, one was old, which one was the oldest? Who was next? You know, when, when people reach adulthood, some of us look older for our age than others and whatever. You can't just look at a family and go <laughs> oldest, youngest, and so on. Um, and... And so sometimes you mistake a father and a son even for brothers, right? Um, and, and so on. So here they are seated properly. It doesn't say they said anything, but they were, what's going on here? And then, interestingly enough, apparently there's food at Joseph's table, but not theirs. And you don't have Egyptians in the room serving anymore. And Joseph took portions to them from his own table. And what was unique about his portioning to the table? Benjamin got a little extra. A little extra? <laughs> <laughs> and so you think Joseph favored Benjamin just a bit. Yeah, this is his full brother. And it's interesting uh, that they then feasted and drank freely for, with him no mention is made of that. I mean, it's clear. It made it in the scriptures that Joseph gave Benjamin five times as much. And that's probably a part of the brother's astonishment. Um, what is going on here? You know, he made sure that Benjamin came here. He wasn't even going to talk to us unless we brought Benjamin. Uh, as far as we know, they never used the name Benjamin to Joseph on the first trip, so um, the naming might have not... But he wanted our other brother here. What? And then he gives them five times as much. I'm sure that wasn't obvious, was it? Well, maybe it was. Um, uh, it, it would be fun to have a really descriptive account of what they ate, the various dishes, and all of those things to just imagine. You know, I don't know what they ate. Probably, I mean, in Egypt in this part of the world a lot of fish was a big part of their diet you know maybe everybody else got one fillet and he got five you know it'd be fun to imagine some of that but we don't get to and so here are the brothers feasting away it doesn't record any real conversation can you imagine their thoughts well we're all still free we're all still alive we're eating at this important man's table. 
I mean, everything seems to be going okay. So any questions or comments or thoughts you have? Well, I don't think so. Um, now, I could be very, very wrong in that. Um, let, me, let me back that up. I don't know. I didn't put any particular importance to it. The, the interesting thing is that Moses tells us when God said two different times, now your name's Israel, and yet Moses continues to use both names a lot. There might be a pattern, but if there's one, I haven't picked it out, where when Jacob's not, when Jacob's working out of his own um, self, relying on self, maybe he gets called Jacob, and when he's responding well to God, he's called Israel. I, I don't know, but clearly they're both used at various times in a way that I did not perceive a pattern. So, um, as a matter of fact, as I presented here this morning, you heard me say Jacob all the way through. It's just my habit. I have trouble. It doesn't feel natural for me to call Jacob Israel. Um, probably because Israel's the name that I associate with the nation, and Jacob's the name I associate with the person. But I certainly don't mean to take us away from uh, the way the text says it. I just It's just my habit. So I think of him as Jacob. I don't know, anybody else have any insights to that? Do you think, uh, as far as the portion, do you think that Joseph was seen if the brothers had animosity against Benjamin like they had against him, and those portions might bring something out? I, You know, I don't... The only thing that is clear from the text is when he saw Benjamin, he was moved. And so I do think... The, the most probable situation there is um, like a grandpa giving his favorite grandkid a little extra candy once in a while, you know. Um, the one that follows me around all the time is more likely to get something out of me, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it works. That's kind of the way I took it. But, you know, we one of the things I wish we got more of in this account is what these men are thinking and maybe even more of what they were saying, but God doesn't reveal Joseph's heart in specific moments. We see his heart big picture before it's all over, um, but we just don't get much about what were the thoughts along the way. I mean, it, I can't help but think that when Joseph first saw his brothers, it wasn't, oh, my long-lost brothers. It was, you scoundrels, you know, now you're going to come down here and ask for something to eat, huh? I don't know that he thought that, but that's just, that would be human nature, right? So that's all I can do is look at that and say, here's human nature. At this point, I'm wondering if he's not giving them hints here. I know who you are. I know who your family is. And, hey, I'm alive, by the way. And here's, you know, because the favoritism towards Benjamin would be obvious. The fact that he knows us, but yeah. also be thinking, oh, he's thought we were spies and has researched our family. But, but he's worked hard to disguise himself in the last encounter. doesn't say that again here, but clearly they're not <coughs> recognizing him. And he's really not, I mean, there's a lot of things he could have done and said. He could have said, oh, yeah, I'm a Hebrew too. Well, and is he speaking in their language, or is he 
Well, representing is there the still an interpreter between them? Yeah. I don't know. We don't get told that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he might be able to understand what the brothers are saying. Well, and clearly that happened last time because it was brought out that he was using an interpreter even though he could understand them perfectly well. And that worked out at them revealing some things as they had their internal discussions. Remember, their internal discussion was about how they had misbehaved toward Joseph, and so now God is punishing us, potentially. So, um, yeah, don't, don't know. We weren't told. Um, I, I can't help but think Joseph remembered the dreams when these brothers are bowing down every time. He did, it mentions in the last encounter he thought about it, and I can't believe that he didn't continue to think about that when they're bowing down. So, and Joseph clearly's got a longer game plan. We're going to see that he's not done with manipulating the situation, and that's all, that's got a lot of negative connotations. But um, and maybe it even deserves a little bit of that. There's some trickery here, but um, he's got more more in store for them, which we'll see next time. Any other comments or thoughts? Well, I, I had 12 pages today, which is more than normal, but we were through it just a few minutes early. Um, I, th Joseph is has been most of my life my, I don't know if I want to say favorite character um, in the <coughs> Old Testament, and, and his encounters are fascinating to me. But I, I, there's so many things that have been modeled to me. I'm really in, enjoying this, and... Um, it's fun to recognize that Joseph lived through some pretty hard times and he did say I don't deserve this but it doesn't seem that he felt sorry for himself or got you know all woe is me he just lived through it trusted God God was with him and he waited until God fulfilled what he was going to do and we'll see more of that next time let me close with a word of prayer Father uh, you give us many people to see in the scriptures. And Lord, you, you let us see them so often without uh, filters and lenses. But we get to see that they were people like us who worked their way through life, making errors and offending you like us. Uh, Lord, let us learn from these accounts let us see how you are always in charge of history, how you deal with people and their problems, and how you get your tasks done. Your purposes are met at every turn, and those who wait on the Lord are blessed. Teach us to wait on you and to trust you with the things that come our way in life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.